1: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
0: You're listening to Living Better in San Diego. I'm Vicki Pepper. With the holidays over, many people are left to cope with their magnified feelings of grief and loss of a loved one, a beloved pet a job that no longer exists, loss of income, a home, or maybe even loss of self. According to The Atlantic, 72% of Americans say they know someone who has died or been hospitalized because of COVID, meaning 6.6 million Americans could be affected by bereavement. And a recent study by UCLA indicates how Americans are suffering psychological distress from a job loss. On the line is Karen V. Johnson, whose fast-paced career as a lifetime appointed federal judge came to an abrupt halt when she lost her 27-year-old son to a heroin overdose. Rather than grieve in a way that made people around her comfortable, she did the unexpected. She quit her job, sold her house with all her belongings, and went on a a two-and-a-half-year journey that took her all over the world, finding a healing practice along the way. Karen didn't think she could ever find her way out of despair, but she found a process that works and shares the journey of transformation with others so that they can heal too. She shares that process in her book, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Thank you for joining me. Hey, thank you for having me. Karen, if you would, start by telling us about your journey through grief.
1: Well, it started with the death of my 27-year-old son from a heroin overdose, and it was an unexpected death. He went to a party, they drank too much, and they decided they were going to try heroin. So I didn't see this coming. So he was here one moment, gone the next. And it just drew me completely out of my life, out of the matrix, however you want to say it. I felt like nothing made sense anymore. And he kind of appeared before me. I saw him. You know, that's another thing. A lot of people who are grieving deaths have experiences of knowing and seeing their loved ones. And that's another thing sometimes people want to keep secret or keep quiet about. They feel it won't be accepted. So anyway, this having seen him, I realized there was life after death. I wasn't particularly spiritual or religious before that. And it was a long process of taking mediumship training and talking to an evolutionary astrologer and coming across the Four Winds Society, um, shamanic training with Alberto Viotto. And so I went on a really long journey, a two and a half year long journey all around the world, leaving everything behind to kind of figure out grief and loss and understand it in some way that just wasn't making sense to me. And tell us about
0: some of the practices you started to use to cope with grief and loss.
1: Yeah. So, my book has 16 practices, and yes, some, a lot of people that are Buddhist are going to find these to be familiar, but they kind of cross over to many different doctrines, non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment, the practice of beauty, non-doing, non-engagement. So my book is structured around the medicine wheel, and each practice, there's four practices on each quadrant of the medicine wheel, south, west, north, and east. And so what I take the readers on is a journey. And it's a journey of transformation to find the blessings of the grieving process in allowing themselves to grow into a state of living with grief. And so uh, the metaphor, as above, so below, is a metaphor that shows how we are so connected to our loved ones on the other side. We, they go through transformation, resurrection, and rebirth, and so do we. And so that's the process I want to take the readers on so that they can find a way back to themselves. You know, when we have a lot of loss, and this works for loss too, not just death, but loss because, you know, sometimes we lose a relationship and maybe we're glad to be out of the relationship, but what we lost is the dream. And sometimes we haven't gotten in touch with that. We say to ourselves, oh, I... I understand that. I dealt with that a long time ago, or I'm glad to be free, but there's a part of us that just isn't quite there yet, and it's getting at those unrecognized feelings and getting to the depth of our grief and figuring out where are we stuck, and how can we move along and do better and use the energy of loss and grief to help create a new and different life for ourselves. A lot of people have seasonal affective
0: disorder, and I think it's kind of natural to get depressed during the winter. But for some people, the holidays and the busyness of Thanksgiving and Christmas can distract us from that. For others, it just exacerbates it. But I feel like once the new year starts and things get back to normal, we realize that winter is only halfway over. What tips do you have for someone coping with grief and loss in the new year?
1: It's not easy. And so I'm in New York. So we're, we're in the depth of winter and, and it's very dark. You know, California is a little different. But I think a lot of times in the holiday season, we get busy, busy, busy. And the busy helps us avoid uncomfortable emotions. And, you know, sometimes we think if I just avoid this, if I keep busy and I don't look at it, I don't have to deal with it. But it's kind of bubbling away under the surface. And so I always recommend just taking some time to really look at things, to sit with uncomfortable emotions so that we can see them. When you see them, you express them and you release them. So that's kind of the process. If you keep not looking and keep not feeling, yes, you can experience a little bit of numbness, but the numbness is not helping you. And so what I like to do is have people really sit with their emotions and then when you're ready, pick up the book and do these 16 exercises, because that gives you a place of hope. It gives you a place of working through and transformation and a goal. And we do it in a very ceremonial way. So with shamans, we believe fire is the path to rapid transformation. So I, along with the exercises in my book, there are exercises for the person to do. For example, write down on a piece of paper. All the things, people that you're judging or people that are judging you, maybe you're even judging yourself. Maybe you're judging the one that passed. Maybe you're judging the one who left you or the one who fired you or the COVID or the vaccine or really getting in deep to where the place is that you're stuck and allowing that to release by writing it on a piece of paper in ceremony, sitting in stillness, and allowing taking that piece of paper to burn to the fire with the intention of releasing the heaviness around all that. So Ramdas, a beautiful spiritual teacher talks about non-judgment and he talks about turning people into trees because he says, when we go to a forest and we look at all the trees around us, we see one is bent and one is straight and one's taller, one's smaller, one got hit by lightning and we don't judge the trees. The trees just are. But when it comes to people Ooh, our judging mind comes in. Mm-hmm. So the exercise is turning everyone into a tree and allowing them just to be and to release them. So sometimes it's really hard for people to say, okay, this person, I'm really angry because my sister or my brother didn't help me. They weren't there for me. They criticized me. They w-. So to just move that energy out a little bit, move it up and move it out. It can bring, bring extraordinary relief to people so that it's not living in them, you know, that heaviness, let go of that heaviness. And then people can begin to look toward resurrecting out of all the things that we wanted to release and all the old stories and all the old people and things that are confining us. Let that all go and begin to look toward resurrection and then rebirth
0: using this energy to create a new life. I'm speaking with Karen V. Johnson, author of Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. What suggestions do you have for honoring a loved one who has passed?
1: Mm, Everybody has uh, lots of ideas on this and, and there's books on rituals and things. My favorite ones really are planting a tree. Outside in honor, and if you can't plant a tree, maybe you don't have a place to do that. You might have a plant, a plant that maybe was part of their funeral arrangement or something that, or a plant you want to grow just in your house, and that can be like the foundation for a little altar, a little place you can go to, kind of visit that person and be with their spirit and talk to them. I like to talk to my son on his birthday, and I like to talk on Christmas and New Year's, and I like to invite him in and believe that he's listening and know that he's there with me. Another thing is setting a plate at the table for that person. In some traditions, they set a plate at the table for a whole year, and I I think that's a beautiful practice, but if a year is too much, then how about in the holidays? You know, Make that person part of your ritual. Valentine's Day is coming up, and that's always a tough one for people that have broken hearts. Mm. And so, yeah, so how can we bring our loved one into Valentine's Day, maybe make a Valentine for them and take them to the place where you have a little bit of an altar for them with their picture? So that's some of my ideas for it. How
0: can someone identify grief and loss, whether it's within
1: themselves or in someone else? I think a lot of times when we look at ourselves, we see that we've turned inward. We stop doing things that bring us joy and happiness. We stop socializing with other people. Because a lot of times people have expectations for us. It's time to move on. It's time to get over it. Now let's go to a movie. No, let's not talk about that. Let's do this. Let's do that. And it just doesn't feel right. And so I always said to my friends to imagine that I'm a zombie. I only have half a heart. And zombies don't go to lunch. And zombies don't go to dinner. And zombies don't go to parties. And, and so that sense of socially isolating. Because the pressure to move on and conform is so great. People that are grieving make others around them feel uncomfortable. And so there's a lot of pressure to move on and to not be grieving. And that's just too much pressure for a lot of people. So they choose to opt out. They choose to go within. They choose to stop socializing. So that's always one really big indicator for yourself and for others. If you just say, I'm just not having fun anymore. Life doesn't seem to be fun. I don't want to go out. I don't want to see people. I don't want to be anywhere around people. That often means I don't want people asking questions or wanting me to act in a way that I'm not ready to act yet.
0: How can someone use grief and loss to build a new life like the way you did? Yeah. So we,
1: we want to get in touch with all of it, all the places where we're stuck, all the people that caused us pain and anxiety, the old stories that we're carrying around inside of us and release them. And then we want to use our minds to change our perception. So if your perception is grief goes on forever and you'll be stuck in grief and there's nothing you can do, or that a lot of times people feel like if I move on with my life, people around me are going to criticize me. They're going to say, well, she didn't sure care very much. She didn't grieve very long because so there's no win in grief. Mm. So we want to use the energy. We want to realize it has the energy and we want to realize that it's a journey. So there's no pressure. The thing I love about having 16 different exercises is that you can take as long as you want. Sometimes my classes are six weeks. Sometimes my classes are 16 weeks. And people spend a whole week with each exercise, non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment. All of them, they, they spend an entire week thinking about it, writing on pieces of paper, releasing things. So I think sometimes just realizing that we don't have to be on a time schedule here. There's no time. What if we just get out of time and go on this journey? And the journey is our own personal journey of transformation. And we can take as much time as we want with it. And we can do it with many people in our lives. Sometimes people that are so sunk in, in grief realize as they're going around the exercises that they're not just grieving one loss. They might be grieving a loss uh, from 50 years ago from 20 years ago, the loss of a mother or a father or a brother or a sister. And so these losses become cumulative. And sometimes people find that, okay, I'm going to do this set of exercises for each person in my life that has passed and all the losses. And then sometimes people say, okay, maybe it's a divorce. Oh my gosh, I thought I was over that, but I think I'm really not. I'm going to do these exercises for that. Or maybe for an abortion many, many years ago, or, something more recent or a job loss. And so you can do these practices and find out where is it that you're really stuck and how can you work with that feeling of stuck and move the energy so that you can actually now look ahead and say, you know, I learned a lot from this and now I'm going to do something different for myself and for my family,
0: uh, for those around me. I'm speaking with Karen V. Johnson, author of Living Grieving, Using Extremized Grief and Loss. What should someone say or not say to someone who is grieving or experiencing loss?
1: Yeah, so the common ones that I found were people would say things like, uh, everything's going to be okay, he's in a better place. You know, those kind of things sound like they're nice, but they're really not very helpful. And I got to the point, people told me so many times, so many people said that he's in a better place, and I thought, well, I'm not in a better place. Mm. And it gets to the point where you get can be very frustrating. The one person in my life that actually came and just sat with me didn't expect me to talk didn't push food or ask me to go out anywhere or do anything just sat with me you know time is such a precious precious quantity and if you can just spend time make a cup of tea and just sit without any pressure of any kind because people that are grieving already feel the pressure they feel that pressure to get over it move on and you know I wish I could tell people that that once you go through the 16 practices It'll be all better. You won't grieve anymore. But you know, the pain remains. But what we get rid of is the suffering. All the stories and all the limiting beliefs and all the things that we've built up, shame, blame, guilt, all those things, we release that. And so we're left with the pain. The pain is real. But the suffering, suffering is something that we create.
0: What are some other simple steps we can take to be a supportive family, friend, or coworker to someone who is grieving?
1: You know, people always talk about, okay, I want to bring a cake, or I want to bring food, or I want to bring a plate of lasagna. A lot of times, people are, that are grieving are just overwhelmed with things like that. Too many flowers, too much food, too many cakes. We can't deal with it. And you think, okay, give it to Shelter, call somebody. But when you're grieving, you're really not able to take care of things like that. And so if you can think about bringing small things that are maybe already boxed up in a container so they could just go in the freezer. Maybe take care of those donations. could say that would be something you could do for somebody. Say, would you like me to take care of some of this? Would you like me to put it in containers? Would you like me to pass it on to a food pantry or something like that? So those kind of things where you see the person, you know, surrounded by stings, you know, all kinds of food. The counters are full. The fridge is full. Flowers everywhere. And you think, oh, this shows love. But at some point it becomes overwhelming. So how can we make this all more manageable for somebody? It's really a great thing to do.
0: Tell us about some of the ancient approaches to grief and loss and the process of healing.
1: So, my path is that I found for my healing the shamanic path, and shamans are located all over the world. But the Indian path is the one that I'm familiar with, and so the big journey begins in the south. So, there's four directions of the medicine wheel south, west, north, and east, and in the south direction. We have the concept of the serpent and the serpent who sheds its skin. And that's the way we want to begin to shed our limiting stories, stories about shame, blame, guilt, all the stories about things that we are ready to release so that we can get unstuck. So, you know, people a lot of times turn the person's room into a shrine and leave everything the same. I know I did that in the beginning. And I had to have a lot of help to really be able to move out of that, move those things and begin to also move that stuck energy. And then the West is Jaguar medicine. And the Jaguar medicine talks about our deepest terrors, including death and a step toward renewal and rebirth. So the wisdom of the West direction is that we recognize the only enemy is in ourselves collapsing in fear, shame, blame, guilt, all those things. So we work in the west direction, and then we work in the north direction. North direction, we start to get a little bit lighter, hummingbird medicine. And, and it recognizes that epic flight, this little bird with very tiny wings and no food along the way, but it manages to drink only from the sweetest nectar and making this epic journey from Canada all the way to Brazil and Chile and back every year. And that's where we want to be. We want to be finding our soul's journey. What does our soul really want? And a lot of times when people have been caretakers, have watched somebody pass, maybe have children that are sunk into addictions, we lose all sense of ourselves and what we want and what we need. Also, just being that sandwich generation, taking care of children, taking care of elderly parents, working 40, 60, 80 hours a week. I mean, we're tremendously busy and confined and we lose track of who we are and what we want. So it's an opportunity to come back and say, hey, what do I want? What would I do? If I could do anything, not worry about anything else, what would I do? Where would I go? How would I live my life? And begin to say, okay, you know, get in touch with that feeling. And then Once you see it and you get in touch with it, you
0: can begin to make plans. I'm speaking with Karen V. Johnson, author of Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. How can someone make peace with feelings of regret, guilt, and despair?
1: Yeah, that is the process of working with these 16 practices and working through it. It's not magical. There's no magic wand. It takes work. It takes dedication. But The end product is so worthwhile because all the people that have attended my classes and workshops, at the end of it, everyone is feeling so much lighter and so much in touch and in tune. So that's the way. The only way is to really get in touch with yourself and get in touch with where the places that you're stuck and the things that you really want for your life. How can someone find
0: self-compassion during a bereavement journey? Self-compassion is always that tough one, self-love.
1: You know, we're so good at, Saying kind things to others, but we treat ourselves in ways that we wouldn't treat anybody else. So it's always sitting with that and saying, What am I saying to myself? Am I saying, Oh, you're so stupid. You never do anything right. You always make mistakes. If you catch yourself saying those things, then it's time to turn it around. But you can't catch yourself all the time, the internal dialogue unless you're really sitting in stillness. Every once in a while, you know, it just pops up and you say, oh my gosh, why am I talking that way to myself? Uh, it's all your fault. You should have called the doctor. It's all your fault. You know, you've bad genetics. Oh, it's all your fault. All those things that we tell ourselves that are not even true. So self-love, self-forgiveness, self-awareness, self-compassion, all those things that mean things that we say to ourselves, we having a moment and saying, is that really true? And if you really still can't get at it quite that way and you think, well, maybe it's true, would I say that to anybody else? Mm. And then the answer is no. You think, okay, let's let that go. Let's just let it go. It's not helping. All it's doing is causing misery and pain. I've been speaking with Karen V. Johnson,
0: author of Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. How would you like us to get your book?
1: So you can find me on Amazon and also at karenjohnson.net. That's my website. You can um, get a copy of the book through that. And also you can sign in for my newsletter and there'll be postings there about classes and different things that I hold. Any final thoughts for us? Just that I love the metaphor as above, so below for the journey of the bereaved and through loss and despair. So we want to just take this journey and remember it is a journey and that you can begin to transform and transcend that there is hope. Thank you so much
0: for talking with us today, and I'm so, so sorry for your loss. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?